0: You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture and all things related to it. New episodes are released daily. For more information, check out glossahouse.com and subscribe to our channels on Spotify and YouTube. Welcome and enjoy. Hello, everybody. I want to welcome you back to uh, Greek Reading Group. Uh, I'm really excited to get to this text, um, this section of Ephesians. I'm going to do some screen sharing. I'm not going to use my iPad, which allowed me to kind of draw a little bit more easily, but I'm going to use my my uh, laptop. I think I can still do some drawing. It just won't quite be as precise. And I also want to do some, um, some uh, alignment of subordinate clauses. And we're going to pick back up. Um, looking at um, a little bit of the context here, uh, prior to where we left off, um, and then we'll get into some new new material. But there's a lot to 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 look at to think about. So uh, anyway, um, let's let's kind of jump into it here. So remember that um, Paul has described. Jesus's ascent uh, by quoting Psalm 68, changing it just a little bit, tweaking the Greek a little bit to match more the triumphal, uh, the the triumphal processional um, uh, activities of gift giving. Um, And so Yahweh is depicted in this psalm as triumphing. It's applied to Jesus now. Jesus is triumphing. And um, part of what Jesus did, part of what he achieved, was uh, was uh, giving gifts to people. So he's giving uh, these different kinds of gifted leaders. And these leaders have a certain purpose here for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And the ultimate temporal goal is a kind of a unification around a certain understanding of the faith and knowledge in regard to Jesus as son of God, the perfect person, the mature person, and to the measure, the standard uh, of maturity. This this idea of stature has to do with maturity. Uh, So you have a lot of language of maturity here. So Jesus is the measure uh, which he fulfills. He fulfills what that maturity looks like. This word fullness should be fulfillment, understood in terms of fulfillment. And this then allows, so we're growing up into him. And as church leaders appropriately do what they do, and mend us, and prepare us for works of service, and building up of the body, growing up into Christ. And as we're doing that, this takes us out of the condition that we find ourselves in, and that is being immature, being children. Um, this, this, is the, this is the purpose of Jesus's coming, is to help us grow up, um, so that we can know so that we would no longer be children. Now, these children, this kind of state of being immature, uh, as like infant or young children, the, the Greek word there is nepeu. Uh, um, this this um, the state of being immature is accompanied by a a cultural. Influence on our lives, which is um, in flux, constant flux, winds and waves, and and we're 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 uh, tossed about by every wind of teaching, and this word doctrine really is the word teaching, didaskalia, and this teaching is obviously human scale, uh, in the sense that it comes from humans and is accompanied by trickery, craftiness, and deceitful scheming. So there's something very sinister about this, in other words. And this word for uh, method or scheming, methodia, we obviously get the uh, English word method from that, is found only elsewhere in Ephesians uh, in reference to the methods of the devil, the schemes of the devil, uh, against which and because of which we wear the armor of God, because we're engaged in this ideological conflict with the forces of evil. And that conflict is carried out human scale in the form of teaching, which is kind of blowing us around in different ways. So rather than that, we are to exercise truth in love, uh, and we are to grow up into christ so christ is our head and we're going up into him we're his body he's our head he's our model and and of maturity and we're to grow up into him in every way and each body member of christ contributes to that overall growth we all have a part to play we all contribute our gifts and our wisdom and our perspective in that we're growing together Uh, We can't do this alone. We're part of an organic body that belongs to Christ. And this radical Christ focus we're going to see is extremely important. Um, He is the fountainhead of our life and our community. And and love, obviously, is important. And later in Ephesians, Paul will talk about the importance of love. But the, the body builds itself up in love. So this is where we we left off last time. I quickly uh, was I was looking at, we were looking at um, verse uh, 17 here as a transition. Uh, the first part of this is this I say and I testify in the Lord. This is all what's called a meta comment. This is just a big uh, tee up and setup that what follows is particularly important. So, Paul, a meta-comment is when the author is self-reflective about the communicative process in some way. In this, in this, in this case, Paul is his voice is coming to the forefront, and the tuto is really this. The this is really setting up the content of what follows. So, uh, the this is forward-pointing. And he's also testifying in the Lord. So this is a serious weighty kind of language, that this is something that he's saying comes from the Lord. Now, um, I'm going to keep layering this a little bit. What we have, uh, as we talked about last time, is a uh, an infinitive clause. So this is an infinitive clause of indirect discourse. You know, uh, no longer you walk. That you no longer walk. Now we're going to translate this with uh, a that, and so we see that um, in in English translations. So this that is is working with the infinitive clause. The umas is the subject of that, and we're to walk no longer, just as the nations are walking. So this um, this just as. Um, is modifying uh, the walking. What kind of walking are we, are we not to be doing any longer? It's the uh, the nation walk. We're not to walk as the nations are walking. So the word here, nations, is the subject of, um, of this uh, verb here, walking. This, this idea of walking is metaphoric for living. And it's related to the Hebrew idea of halakha, uh, to walk, um, to walk in a certain way. Um, so, just as also the nations walked. Um, it's interesting that there is a textual variant there, and I looked it up, and it's the Greek adjective um, lipos, which means um, the other nations walk. So, that's an interesting textual variant. It does not have strong textual support. And um, so how did these other nations walk? Well, they walked in the vanity of their mind. So here I'm just doing a little bit of layering and um, just to kind of describe and, and put things that modify each other underneath what they're modifying. And I won't be able to do this perfectly because of the limited space, but basically, um The the sentence comprises subject, verb, object, and you might have an initial conjunction. Everything else in the sentence is a modifier. And so these modifiers, you can place um, underneath what they modify. And so here you have in the vanity of their mind. um, And so this is how they walked in the vanity of their mind, the emptiness of their mind. Now, I do have uh, logos here that I can pop to, and this is kind of what I like to be able to do. Uh, let's look at this word vanity. This word vanity is interesting. It has to do with um, emptiness, futility, purposelessness, and this idea of of having like a purposelessness mind, so a mind that is not, doesn't have a proper focus, I think is really what's at stake, um, doesn't have a good purpose. Uh, I was talking with a evangelism colleague of mine, and he created this um little card game that um, helps people practice how they can share their faith. And he was working with uh, a model of um, what anthropologists will describe as uh, concerns for shame and guilt and fear, that these are kind of basic kind of human, human kind of struggles. And so his card game matched um, those basic um, background to what is causing anxiety and maybe in the person, fear-based, shame-based, or um, guilt-based. And there's some understanding to that that goes into that. Then another set of cards was where you are located, like what setting. And You have these different settings, grocery store, soccer game, you know, whatever, And then he had, you know, a bunch of cards with different types of people. And it was just a little way in class to kind of be shuffled randomly, these different cards. And then, you know, how would you share your faith in that context? Um, But as I was talking with him, I said, it doesn't doesn't seem to me that fear, guilt, and shame, that that captures the human condition uh, adequately. I think there's more. In scripture, um, another, at least another category, and that is one of purposelessness. I think this lack of goal or directionality or purpose, feeling, you know, what is this about? This kind of apathy. So I, I talked to him about apathy. I talked to him about purposelessness, um, and I don't know if he's adjusted the card game to that. But I I do think that there's a lot to this, that people are really struggling with purpose. Like, what is the meaning of life in terms of purpose? And, um, you know, the scripture has a lot to say about our goals and what is it that we're pursuing. And so anyway, I just kind of throw that out there as uh, that. This is really a description, a pretty fundamental description of our problem. Now, this word futility or emptiness doesn't occur a whole lot. There are some cognates, um, but I found this interesting passage, uh, 2 Peter 2.18. Whoa, what's going on? Uh, I'm going all over the place. So yeah, let's go to um, up to here. Yeah. So 2 Peter 2.18, Peter is talking about um, a a, a group of people that are infiltrating the church and 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 part of their their issue is um, that they are they are given uh, arrogant words which are purposeless you know so this idea of purposelessness occurs in this context of second um, 2 Peter 2:18 2, and uh, you can read that. In its context, so they have a, um, a, a a purposelessness in what they're doing, and this purposelessness is connected to sensuality and having fleshly desires. Um, and we're going to see that this is part of the context also in Ephesians four seventeen. So that's that's a word that's kind of interesting to look at, and you could uh, go to different contexts um, to see that um, word used elsewhere okay so to go back to our passage um to get to where we really left off i just wanted to show you that there's a further description of of what's going on with these people um and and the gentile world in general they are darkened in their understanding they are alienated from the life of god uh and this this alienation and this darkening perhaps is due to an ignorance which is in them and then this ignorance that is in them is because of the hardness of their hearts and so at this point you have like a layering of of consequences and causality so there's um underlying this darkening of their understanding and the alienation from the life of god that's that's the Alienation for the love of uh, from the life of God. Behind each of these is this uh, dia with the accusative, the, this uh, prepositional phrase. The ignorance being present in them. They they don't have purpose. They they don't know what they don't know, and and people um, find themselves in this in this situation. Uh, but but that ignorance is kind of interesting. That that ignorance is has a cause itself according to paul's description here it comes out of the hardness of their hearts Um, and so there's a heart condition that underlies their ignorance condition which gives rise to being alienated from the life of god which is the context in which their understanding is darkened so you can start to lay out these subordinate clauses um, and 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 really, this uh, vanity in, in their mind, this purposelessness of the mind is related to a darkening in their understanding, an alienation from the life of God, which comes because of ignorance and hardness of the heart. So at the bottom of it, it seems like there's a heart condition that needs to be rectified, our heart condition. Now, in verse 19, this is right where we ended last time, there's a bit of a reset um, in, in the sense that you the, the, the grammar picks up with a relative pronoun. And this is a kind of relative pronoun in Greek. It's called an indefinite relative pronoun because it's formed also with the indefinite pronoun in it, which uses third declension endings. And then it also has the relative pronoun endings. Um, And this type of pronoun uh, often seems to be used to provide um, elaboration on something. It elaborates something. That's what relative pronouns do. uh, They provide more information about a subject or a topic. They pop into a subordinate clause. So this we could put this as a bracket, um, and um, it's it's a it's a bit of a reset. And uh, one grammarian noticed that when this type of pronoun is used, this indefinite relative pronoun, there, there's often uh, support or substantiation, uh, like a causal basis for what what goes prior. And uh, sometimes you can support. Um, a previous claim by way of elaboration, explaining a little bit more about it as kind of the basis or rationale. And I think that's what's going on here. This this relative pronoun is is resetting the grammar a bit because we've been seeing these participles uh, being darkened, being alienated from the life of God. And now we're having um, a, a bit of a reset and this reset allows for uh, an, a finite verb to be used, and we see that finite verb here. Um, they give themselves over. So, um, altus is the direct object, which is a reflexive pronoun, um, giving themselves over, and they're going to be giving themselves over to to something. So, the the um, the pragmatics of this, like the grammatical of it and and the the significance of this grammatically is that um this indefinite relative pronoun pronoun eaten which is um really we're right here um this is where we are in the english and they have made them callous have given themselves over so um this is where we are here talking about it um this this um stresses their agency the human agency, do we play a part? do we do we have a role in our um in our own hardness? Um, what role do we play in our life, our destiny? And here, I think I, I would just make a point that you know we are constrained by different environmental things. People often describe us as, you know, we have um what is it? What's the cause of our behavior? um genetics and um environment you know like what's what is it that that causes us to be who we are is it nature or nurture so nature would be kind of our genetics and just who we are disposition in a sense which you know we we get we inherit in a sense right we can't really help who we are in that regard that's nature but then there's also nurture you know how have we been raised? What's the context that we find ourselves in? I don't think that those two are adequate. Um, at least we would need to explain them a little bit more because I also think that there is a third factor, which is our own self-determination, our own decision making, uh, our our uh, how we are forming ourselves or or what we're doing to um, to form ourselves. Now, that could be self-nurture. We could understand that maybe in terms of self-nurture or our nature in terms of, you know, maybe how we are thinking about things. But often it, that nature is thought of in terms of we're just kind of stuck. We can't help who we are. And then our nurture, that's what's happened to us. And we're just kind of victims of our environment. But I I I do think that there is a third influence uh, in our lives, and this is... Um, a fourth one as well, and that is God. So God influencing our lives, us deciding in our environments how to live, and these kinds of things. And so, um, what we see in verse nineteen really is is our own agency and how we are affecting ourselves. And so, um, we do have some agency. Now, this is a participle here. Um, Having become callous, it's a perfect participle, that's why it's in yellow. Having become callous, we gave ourselves over to licentiousness, asalgia, for the working of every kind of uncleanness in greed, in greediness. And so this is, um, this reset is, is focusing on our agency. Uh, and our agency comes out of a callousness, um, having become callous, and then we just abandon ourselves over to uh, licentiousness, al-salgia, and this, uh, this abandonment of ourselves over is for the working of uncleanness. So this is an objective genitive. This is the kind of what we do, what we work out, we're working, what are we working, what are we doing? We're doing unclean things. And so this um, this unclean things really is is a way of describing all kinds of immoral actions, different immoral actions, actions that make us impure, in uh unclean um and this could be understood in terms of idolatry but but more than that um kind of different perversions uh sexually and otherwise uh, a parallel passage here to look at would be romans chapter 1 where the same verb handing over is used uh three times and there is con- there is a, an interesting Uh, thing there, if we look at that in context, our worshiping of the creation um, opens us up to a causality of our own device that God basically hands us over such that we have the freedom to engage in all kinds of bad activities and dispositions and, 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 and allows us to be sinful, um, and we can't blame God for that. Uh, it's clear that our hearts and our minds were set on worshiping the creation rather than the Creator. So Romans is another way, uh, another passage that we could look at for how Paul describes causality in 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 our human fallenness. But this passage really is describing. Um, many consequences of our fallenness we have this emptiness this purposelessness which which affects our minds and we have a darkness about our understanding it's almost like we can't uh we we're not we're not um able to see much we're kind of closed in on ourselves and our in our understanding, it might seem perfectly good to us, but it's there's a ceiling on it and a, and a darkened, it's not illuminated. Now, this idea of illumination will come up in chapter five. We'll really see that 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 light accompanies Jesus. Jesus brings light and clarity, um, and, and saves us out of this darkening in our understanding. And then the real tragedy is this alienation from the life of God. So these are things that happen. And uh, result from ignorance and the hardness of our hearts, which um which is only made worse because then once we cut off God in our lives, once we cut off a perspective of God and and his love and grace and mercy, once we're alienated from that life with God, that life that God has originator, of as creator gives us, once we're, once we're cut off from that, then we are, we are left to our own bodies, our own bodies and our reference point is ourselves. And once we are our own reference points, it's, it's only natural that we turn in to our own selves as our own reference points, And and what do we find in ourselves is our desires, our passions, our own way of thinking, which is self-absorbed. And in that state where we're just turned in on ourselves, it is only natural that we would act out, act out of our passions, act out of our fears, our shame, in our guilt and shame, in our purposelessness we are going to take the road of least resistance. We are going to satisfy ourselves in whatever way we deem and think is best because we have that ceiling. We don't have a reference point by which to judge and evaluate ourselves. Instead, we're turned in. And so we give ourselves over to that which is closest to us, which is our bodily appetites. Uh, We could talk about different kinds of vices um, whether it be food uh, gorging, whether it be greed, whether it be uh, sexual kinds of things, all these kinds of things are are what we give ourselves over to. And it's this last uh, phrase here, this last prepositional phrase, uh, which in this NASB translation appear with greediness with greediness it's it's rather interesting this greediness now what does that mean well it can mean um that uh, as the niv translates it with a continual lust for more so the niv i think if you look at the niv it says with a continual lust for more so this kind of speaks to the reality that sin leaves us high and dry sin Is never going to satisfy us sin always promises more than it can deliver and sin always will take more than you think it will you know oh just do it this one time it's not going to hurt this isn't going to hurt anything but sin leaves us high and drives it leaves us unsatisfied and and that's all that it could ever do because its very nature is um, it's not substantial and so it's it's always going to be unsatisfying. It's not a part of what satisfies us as human beings. It's not a part of the life of God. And so it's always going to leave us high and dry. So this people who abandon themselves really over, and we all have this temptation in this state, particularly when we abandon ourselves over to our bodies, there's always going to be a continual lust for more because we... we um, sin we're not made to sin i'll just say it that way that our bodies are not made for sin and we're trying to milk life from that which cannot give life we're trying to milk it and and get from it which it can't ever deliver and so um thank god that he's created the world in this way to 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 show us this is a dead end so this is kind of god's way really of, of saying this is a dead end um and and for people, uh, you know, we're coping in various ways, and uh, we have to hit a bottom. We have to hit a bottom. And and um, tragically, that's that's often what's necessary. So sin never satisfies. So with a continual lust for more speaks to that kind of situation. Now, another way that we could understand this in greed, this little statement in greed, which ends this list, is that... It literally has to do with um, gaining money uh, at the expense of people. Um, if you think about it, um, you know, what are the most, what, what businesses, what makes the most money in this world? It, there is an appeal to our base sinful nature. Uh, our sinful condition, I should say, our sinful condition. Uh, people make money off of our sinful inclinations. Like the biggest businesses are based on that. So it's it's tragic that then when we're struggling and we're down and, and we, we've given ourselves over to our, just our bodily passions and sensations, and that's our reference point. That we're preyed upon commercially. We're preyed upon commercially. We're reduced to being instrumentalized and capitalized uh, at that point of our struggle and sin. And so it could be that the greediness in, in greediness um, relates to the fact that we can observe in the world today that um, that money, billions of dollars the biggest businesses are made off of our our own sinful struggles people are preying upon us we're preyed upon at that very point of weakness and idolatry and rebelling against god so um yeah i think this uh this is pretty desperate um situation and um so thank goodness uh, you know, Paul doesn't spend too much time there, although he does describe it uh, pretty robustly. But then he goes on to verse um, verse twenty. So, any any questions with that? I'm going to pull this English down that people can see that a little bit if they want to refer to that. Um, I have a question about the um, diagramming that you were doing. Yeah. Um, verse 18, I noticed that you bring it back out. And I was wondering how you want to represent the relationship between this listing and 18 with what was being described before. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I'm running out of space here, but I think, yeah, so that that's what I was talking about. Does it go with walking? Or does it go with um you know witch walking that you no longer walk, having been darkened in understanding, alienated from the life of God? I don't think so. I don't think it's this option. Um, I think rather it is this op- option as the nations are walking. So um, you know, yes, you used to be this way, but I think. Uh, what he's really describing is he's unpacking how the nations are living now and of course you used to be that way Uh, don't be that way any longer so i don't think it's primarily to this this one but this one so um but either way whatever we describe it this is no longer who they are or what they should be about so i i think these are um So these are post-nuclear participles, circumstantial participles. Um, This one is rather interesting because it's a periphrastic uh, post-nuclear participle. Uh, And this ONTES is completely unnecessary. This is not necessary at all. And what this does is just ramp up this as an attribute. On the subject, so this is really distressing. The, the having been darkenedness, and there is a textual variant there too. It's interesting. There's another verb, scotizo. So the alternative here, the textual variant, is scotizo. Uh, This is from scotoo omicron contract. Both of them are causative stems. So omicron contract verbs are causative. Edzo verbs are causative. So there's just a little textual variant there that is not very serious. You can see the textual variant there. You have escotis menu, and that's escotidzo. It does not have strong support at all. Uh, The text is well supported. You can see P46, P49, and the big, oldest, baddest manuscripts. So not a strong textual variant just an alternative a verb, meaning the same thing. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to take these as hanging off of probably this, the nations are walking, just as the nations are walking. They're walking in this way. They're walking in the vainness or emptiness of their mind, having been darkened, being alienated from the life of God. And then you have these modifying those. Yeah. So that's that's um i just ran out of space so so yeah not here but rather here yep i think these are modifying how the nations are walking and living now and then you have the eteness and i think this would support that contention because the eteness is going to link back to here also right so the fact that you have paul in his Mental representation grammatically linking back to these nations would would support the fact that these participles are indeed um, elaborating uh, explanatory participles post nuclear explaining more about what that walking looks like and the cause causes behind it the consequences and causes of that uh, walking, yeah. And while I'm talking about the unnecessary um, ontes here, this periphrastic um, circumstantial participle, tain usan is not necessary at all. Um, and again, this simply ramps up the ignorance, which is in fact in them. That's what this, um, this, this second attributive use of the participle from e accomplishes, yeah. So those are not necessary. They are aspects of prominence. These are prominence constructions to add additional stress or emphasis upon what is already stressed. Because these are, this is perfect tense. It's already um, emphasizing this resultant state. Yeah, and then this ignorance as a, uh, I guess, a causative. A basis on account of which, uh, on account of this, because of this. So each of these deal with the accusative. Yeah. And then you have a reset with the otanes. You have a a pre-nuclear participle uh, providing a framework having been callous. So in this callous condition of having a hardened heart, so here the callousness is, is explaining more about this hardened heart situation, uh, then they give themselves over to uh, a, a working of uncleanness. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I hope that clarifies it. All right. Well, let's keep going. Um, this is the good news right here. But you did thou not thus learn Christ. Uh, man, beautiful, but you, you yourselves, not in this way did you learn Christ. Now, this word "learn" is from Monthano. So here's the um, here's the basic sentence. Um, I always think it's interesting when the grammar um, kind of matches the complexity. Like this is a complex sentence. Um, and it's almost like there's a complicated wickedness, like wickedness complicates things. And so here we're looking at a very complex grammatical situation. Something similar happens in Ephesians. We saw in Ephesians 2, uh, 1 through like 6, It's the grammar breaks down precisely when Paul is describing the breakdown of human living. So it's interesting when the grammar matches what the content. And here you just have a real simple sentence. <laughs> you have conjunction, subject, verb zone, direct object zone. I think that's really interesting. Um, so you did not thus learn Christ in this way. So thus is marking manner. Month. This is from the verb monthano. Manthano, related to mathetes, disciple. In fact, Paul does not use the word disciple in his writings, but he does occasionally use the verb manthano in his writings. And here he's talking about, you, you didn't learn Christ in this way. Now, what does this mean exactly? You didn't learn Christ in this way. I think it relates to uh, objections to his gospel that he often received and that is that he was promoting immoral living and lawlessness and um you know in romans he says do we do we uh, abound in sin so that you know do we live in sins that grace may abound no way no way so um it's interesting that he's saying we don't learn christ in this way we don't live in sin and all this kind of stuff and think you know oh i'm going to learn more and more about Christ by living in this way. He says, but you did not in this way learn the Christ. So, this is not how you learn about the grace of God. Um, no, the grace of God comes to us uh, in that setting, certainly, but that's not how we keep learning about Christ. We don't keep learning the Christ by living in this kind of lifestyle. No. Now the miracle of the gospel is that despite that lifestyle somehow the message of Christ can can get into us. And how does it get into us? Well, he's going to describe it. If indeed if indeed you heard him and um were taught in him So what happens is that we learn about him by hearing and being taught in him. And here I'm just layering. What's happened is that we have uh, subordinate clauses in which um, you have um, a conditional sentence set up. If indeed you heard him and were taught in him, just as indeed the truth is in Jesus. Okay, so let's pull this apart. Uh, ge is a post-positive little connector. It means indeed. Um, It's adding just a little bit of oomph. Um, The e is um, modifying learn, learned. If you heard. And so here we have, how do you learn about the Christ? Well, you have to hear it and then you are taught in him. So Jesus becomes um, a message, a message space. So we, we live, we find ourselves in this human condition, but then we can hear Jesus. And really when I first ran across this construction I got really excited I said okay hear him is it possible that that some of these people that to whom Paul is writing actually heard Jesus <laughs> but this verb can take the genitive case as its direct object or the accusative case and it just so happens that there's a difference between those two that the genitive would indicate here directly. The accusative is here about, remotely. So there's a a difference between the two and you can look that up in the lexicons. Yeah, so accusative doesn't mean here directly, it means here about. So there's a report that's gone out and then they heard him. And then they were taught in him. So here's a nice heiress passive verb construction. So this is um this is a type of condition. So e is a conditional particle particle uh setting up a condition. Um and in terms of the type of condition, you have e with the past indicative. These are aorist indicatives. And the product the 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 conclusion, the main uh main Uh, conclusion, the apodesis, what's called the apodesis, is aorist indicative. So you have E with the past tense followed by the main clause, uh, uh, past indicative. This is what's called, um, to put it simply, a past simple condition. So past simple. This is a simple past matter-of-fact condition. And there actually is stress on it, because the protesis, the if part, the supposition comes last. Typically, the protesis the if the parts, the suppositions come first. If they come last, there is stress on that. And the beautiful thing about Greek is that typically you have if something is stressed by position or construction, there's going to be other indicators that help support that it's being stressed. And this ga is doing that. So this is stressed by final position is stressed also by the presence of ga. And so, um, so yeah, this is a simple past simple condition with some stress. Yeah. With some stress. And, um, What I love about this is to consider all the different references to Christ. One, two, three, four. Four references to Christ. This is so Christocentric that that we need to pay attention to it. You got four references to Jesus or to the Christ. And then not only that is you, you know, you, you have, um, the truth, the truth just says the truth is in Jesus. So you have learning, hearing, being taught and truth. So basically what Paul is setting up here, what, what is accomplished in these verses, verses 20 and 21 is that Jesus and Christ, Jesus Christ is a truth telling space, that can be communicated. It can be heard and it can be taught. We can be we can learn and and teach Jesus, be taught Jesus it is it a truth space? And this is really important because it keeps us focused on the main thing. The main thing is actually Jesus. And um something that we also need to take into account here is that um, Paul does not often just refer to Jesus. It's usually the Lord Jesus or Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. So when you when you notice differences, you should ask questions. Why is he only referring to Jesus? This occurs I think four times in Paul's writings where he only refers to Jesus and in every case he is making reference to the historic Jesus, the suffering jesus the jesus who suffered so i think it's a reference to the historic jesus the truth is in the historic jesus how he lived suffered and died um and so this is precisely what um what then i think is in the framework that paul is developing the reality that jesus is the messiah and the historic person of jesus And we're going to see here that uh, there's going to be an elaboration on what you were taught. You were taught. Now, what follows, we're going to see what follows are three infinitives. Three infinitives. And these infinitives are going to be the indirect content of what Jesus taught. You were taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus, namely that. Okay, so you can see in the English translation up here, uh, they do use the word that. So I'm just going to pull this down so people who might want to look at the English translation can do so as as we talk about that. Just as the truth is in Jesus, namely that. So yeah, we're elaborating um, by way of these three infinitives. And we're going to see a three-step process of what they were taught. And we need to pay attention to this. And this is really all we'll have time to get to today. We have about 10 minutes. I'll elaborate on these three and just kind of walk around them. Profound, profound um, description of moral transformation found in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. And so let's pull that apart while we have remaining time. Uh, So I hope it's clear what I'm saying is that you have uh, three infinitives, which are functioning as the indirect discourse of what was taught. And so we could actually start numbering these things. Okay, so you got A, step A. You have step B. And then we have step uh, C. okay? So we're gonna we're gonna see that the teaching that that there are three steps in this teaching of Jesus, what they were taught. Um, if you've learned the Christ and heard him and were taught in him, namely, so the first thing that they were taught in Jesus, is to put off, that you put off uh, the old self. And here I'm gonna run out of space um, if I diagram this. Uh, so I'm gonna pull these back over. See, so we, we have an infinitive working with the, uh, this the accusative working with the infinitive. So that you put off in respect to the former way of living, So this is kind of the standard. So kata with the accusative means like a standard of sorts. So um, what what is being put off is actually the old person. So there's the direct object. This direct object uh, is the direct object of what you're putting off. So here we have relative zones in terms of my... um, uh, method of aligning things by conjunction zone, subject zone, verb zone, direct object zone. This is actually the direct object of the verb, and the umas is the subject of the verb, which is the infinitive. Um, and uh, we have further elaboration of this old Self, this old humanity, this old person. And I'm just going to put it underneath here. It's really describing this old person. And this old person is being, being, um, was being, is being corrupted according to the desires of deceit. The desires of deceit. So this is modifying that. And I can layer this even more. Uh, these deci- desires, uh, this these desires are um, described as being deceitful, and so um, you are to put off the old person, and this old person is elaborated by way of this um, attributive participle. This old self, this old humanity that you're to put off, is being corrupted, and it's being corrupted in a way that corresponds to and is caused by the desires of deceit. So the old self that we're putting away is is wrapped in lies, lies and deception. And these, these lies and deceptions have to do with these desires, which, you know, Paul describes elsewhere as wage war against our souls. And so the desires that are not properly uh, sanctified um, are are grounded in deceitfulness and actually are a corrupting influence on us. And so Paul says, we put away that old humanity. Now, this word anthropos, um, you know, could be translated as person, human, It's kind of hard to know what it means here. Um, Is it in reference to an individual's old self, or is it in reference to the old humanity system um, to which we, we all have participated and now we have to put off? I kind of think it's the former. I think it's kind of like the old self, the old human self. And that old human self is in fact, continually being corrupted. Um, if we if we uh, by itself, if we don't put it off, it it is being corrupted by the the desires uh, of deceit. So this is what we have to put off. Um, we no longer wear it anymore. Um, there is a metaphor here of of dressing, of undressing and dressing that we have a new, identity based on what we're wearing, who we're wearing. And so we'd have to kind of explore that, like, where does that metaphor come from? You know, why is Paul referring to like this outward appearance, in a sense, uh, putting off and then putting on? Uh, We could talk about that. Uh, I guess I could just share now that the ancient world was very, um, you could recognize somebody by what they wore their their station in life their position status slave free what social class what occupation even what ethnicity you wear certain things and i don't know if 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 maybe that's why paul is using this dressing language putting off putting on metaphorically saying that we we just are different now we have a different attire now what how would paul what would he want people to wear? I don't know. Does that look differently now? He doesn't go into it, but it's interesting that he's using that metaphorically to talk about a, a, a process of transformation. Now the next step is um, is seen in the next infinitive. So this infinitive is aorist, middle, you put off. This one is present, uh middle passive um and why is it present middle passive that's interesting uh we do have a de which indicates something a new development so we have a put off we have a renewing present tense ongoing and this renewing probably what we have here is a dative of means And in my marking method, we put these inside of brackets, by means of or in the spirit of. So we don't know if this is means or location, but that's okay. My marking method, this is a special use of the date of case in Greek. So location, or is it means? I don't know yet. Is this by means of the spirit of my mind, or is this in the spirit or disposition of my mind. I kind of like the latter, that this is a disposition. Spirit is kind of like the orientation, that my mind definitely has bents, It has focus orientations. And I do think that this renewing, it has to change how we think. Like our thinking has to be different. The orientation of our mind's focus has to be different. Um we saw earlier that the the mind was vain it was empty it was focused on empty kinds of things the futility of the mind so here's the same word for mind here so this this uh, the futility of mind there is transformed uh, and redirected um so the disposition of my mind has to be renewed it has to be changed and then this This change leads to uh, a putting on of a new self. And this new self is created uh, according to God. Okay, so there's a new self that we're putting on. So this new self is, uh, this is an attributive construction with the participle. So the new self, just as this one had an attributive participle, so, to this has an attributive participle, uh, created according to God. So, just as this has an attributive participle with a standard, so, to this this attributive participle has a standard, and this standard is God, according to God. So, created according to God, or founded according to God, and then we have a wonderful set of, of um, descriptors here in justice, and holiness of the truth so created according to god so there's a different there's a completely different moral tenor um that that justice or righteousness and holiness um which are which are related to the truth so this is the end result so you have a threefold process put off be renewed and put on put on a new self and there's a lot to think about there. And how is this possibly related to being taught in Christ? Remember that all of this is related to being taught in Christ. So all of this is a library being taught in Christ. But what did Jesus teach us in terms of moral transformation? He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I would say that that's a threefold process that relates to this threefold process. Deny yourself means putting off the old self, which is corrupted in its evil desires. You put that off. you be renewed in the spirit, the direction, orientation of your mind. Jesus says, take up your cross daily. That is a change, a framework of understanding oneself. And then follow me. Follow me, Jesus says. And I would suggest that we follow him precisely as we put on the new self, which is modeled after God and the image of God, which, of course, that's what Jesus is, the perfect image of God and uh, the perfect humanity and uh, in, in virtue and holiness and justice. And all of this is related to the truth. The truth is so fundamental for Paul in this passage. the truth is in Jesus. We're to grow up in love speaking truth to one another. So love, truth, and Jesus, they're all going together. And so uh, I'll I'll stop right there, but a threefold process of transformation which is applicable for us today. Have you heard Jesus? If you've heard him, do you believe him? If you believe him, You put off the old self, you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and then you need to put on the new self. I'll end with this thought. Apparently, about 95% of our thoughts, we don't control. They're there. They just kind of pop up into our consciousness. That's a lot, 95%. So it's imperative for us to, to get back control of our thinking. One way that we do that is meditation, memorization of scripture, pondering scripture, memorizing scripture, being in dialogue with one another, and filling our minds with good stuff. Get rid of all the bad stuff that we fill our minds with, the bad self-talk, the bad movies we watch, the bad literature we might read, the bad focus. That's why it's important for us to re-be-renewed and our whole mind's orientation. And when we do that, it can lead to transformation. Thanks everybody. Uh, Hope you found it helpful. We'll pick up right here. We'll move pretty quickly into this next section. Uh, Probably won't review very much, but uh, we'll move right in next time. So take care everybody. And uh, hope to have you uh, join next time. Interested in growing your ancient language skills, but not sure where to start? Glosa House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glosa House offers a variety of resources for beginning intermediate and experienced ancient language learners. Head to Glosahouse.com today. Glosa House: Language Resources for the Global Community.